Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks of the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 149. Well, just ahead, the steel industry is reacting. I mean, celebrating the end of some Trump era tariffs. But what does the success in the steel industry tell us about the economy? And U.S. shale drillers said they weren't going to drill much more despite the high demand for oil. But what do we see when we look at one of the biggest maker of oil rigs? And a newly improved treatment for rare and complicated blood cancer, Legend Biotech promised us that some big results were coming. Well, now they're here. So we're going to get back and talk to Ying Wang, the CEO, after he'd promised these great results were on the way. But first, let's get to some sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you may be listening to this show on iHeart or TuneIn or maybe Google Play or Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Click the subscribe button, follow the show, tell your friends, bring along a crowd. That way you won't miss a single episode. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. You are listening to The Drill Down Podcast, where we explain the business stories behind Stocks in the Move. No, this is not just about wiggly lines on a chart. It's about business. Join me to help dig into these businesses. As always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Those wiggly lines are always really fun, though. No, no, they're not. They go up, they go down. Sometimes they go sideways. Yeah, and if you're a half a moron, you can see that, and you don't need some fool on TV telling you the same thing. Maybe you want to understand the business, which takes a little more digging, which is what we've been doing to prepare for this show. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Helmrick and Payne. Helmrick and Payne trades under HP. HP shares have gained 53% over the past 12 months. In fact, shares have doubled since last December 2021 when they dropped to just over $21. HP shares now trading at almost 42. So HP is a really important company in the oil exploration business. Um, they are the leading provider of oil rigs and you know, just as the Baker Hughes weekly number about how many oil rigs are deployed is so important, so are the results of Helmrich and Payne. It's a four and a half billion dollar company. Um, uh, but it's uh, how is it's, it? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but how yeah. is it? You know, I, I you know we've covered the oil and gas industry for literally decades, but this is not a name that pops up in conversation. This is not a name that people follow. Why is that? You need new friends. Okay. Our, our friend Alex Steele, for example, who shared <laughs> with me when we worked at Bloomberg an obsession with the oil and gas industry. She knows oh, HP. I love Alex Steele. When yeah. you when you spend time with oil and gas people, they talk about HP and what HP is saying and what HP is doing and uh -huh. how many rigs are available from HP. And so, you know, these guys, if you look at their SEC statements, they say that they are their business is developing, promoting, and commercializing technologies. And mm. indeed, the drilling operations that they uh, uh, oversee are increasingly technological. But what mm -hmm. I love about the oil and gas industry, and I say it a lot, is that it's really simple. You stick a hole in the ground, you see what comes out. That's oil and gas right there. And for these guys, you know, the the rising oil prices, I mean, Brent crude hit 130, I think, briefly this last week, 122 as we speak right now, around about. 
Um, you know, investors are obviously betting that oil field service companies like HP uh, uh, are going to benefit from this big uptick in production. But is there going to be an uptick in production? The oil companies, the shale drillers have said they're not going to respond to this. They see this price rise as temporary. But we've started to see more rigs get into service just a little bit. So when we looked at the results, the recent results from HP, and in particular their North America business, um, they reported in their December quarter. Now, this is before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They reported in the December quarter, when prices were already starting to tick up, that they had 154 active rigs out. That's up 20% during the quarter, again, before the invasion in Ukraine. But it's not just the right. number of rigs they put to work. The rate that the oil companies are willing to pay factors in heavily for these guys. Yes, the cost has increased to run these rigs because the technology is different, but, and, and they're, uh, they're taking these things out of mothballs, which is also a not insignificant cost to get these things ready to roll. But the number of rigs to work and the rate oil companies are paying, I mean, wow, uh, when HP talked on their conference call, they had incredible numbers. Their day rates, so for their spot rate for an oil rig, oil company calls up and said, my boss, I know I told you last week we didn't want a rig. We want a rig. Give me one today. That number was $23,000, Isaac. That's now at $30,000. That's a, a more than a 50% increase. Yeah. So just fantastic a price increase for these guys to $30,000 a day. Um, now, again, their costs are higher than they used to be. But here's CEO John Lindsay of Helmer and Payne talking about those $30,000 a day revenue rates. And even though the uh, costs are a little bit higher, um, how uh, that's a real big change for these guys from the recent downturn in oil from maybe a year ago. $30,000 a day revenue, revenue per day really makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you don't get there overnight. And, and but that's that's part of the the point uh, you know to make is that in a downturn rates drop immediately overnight and in an up you know and as you start to see the market improve you know we're 17 months since the the bottom and we've had you know really we're appreciative of the increases but they're pretty nominal uh, when you compare to where we were at the bottom in terms of average pricing. So we got to get that average pricing uh, up, and again, we won't get there overnight. Uh, but we have evidence that it's possible. We have it out in the in the market today, uh, with customers that are are uh, you know really seeing a lot of value uh, with the performance based contracts and the technology solutions that we're providing. So yeah, not all their contracts are spot contracts, but that spot rate I think just shows you that the oil companies might say they're not going to over drill. But uh, clearly they're out there drilling and drilling more than a lot more than they were even in the third quarter of last year, third calendar quarter. But in the fourth quarter for, for Helmer campaign for HP, uh, this was a very strong one in terms of pricing and things have only gotten better for them. You've got to imagine, given what's happening with oil prices. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at U.S. Steel. U.S. Steel trades under X. X shares have gained over 80% in a year and actually steadily climbing higher over the past month and gaining 116% since the start of this year. Yeah, and this is a, a situation where the company was fixing a lot of its problems and then things turned in their favor on top of that. And the result is not just possibly the coolest stock ticker of all time. X. I like that. Me too. Did they ever tell you about Oakley? 
Uh, oh, no. Oakley, when Oakley Republic, uh, my then girlfriend was working the floor of the New York Stock the Exchange. The sunglasses company. Yes. The, uh, okay. the story's old enough. I think I can tell it. Um, they picked the, the Southern California CEOs wearing their Oakley sunglasses in the 1990s, decided that they should have the ticker OO. And this was at a time when not all trading was digital on the New York Stock Exchange, that where traders would you know, $2 brokers and would run to the specialist desk and say, I want to buy 10,000 shares of OO. Give me 5,000 OO. I want 100,000, 150,000 OO. Work at, uh, at this price. If it goes above this price, I don't want it. And the specialists would have to execute those trades. And they're scribbling them down on these little pads of paper. And during the IPO, of course, they had an enormous amount of volume with the stock going up and down and up and down and tons of trading. At the end of the day, they had thousands of these little handwritten trades that said trade 65,000. And is that 6,500? Is that 65,000? Is that, oh, the questionable trades and trade disputes over that stock, stock ticker were a nightmare. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was a poor choice. Maybe U.S. Steel isn't any better with X, but um, some big changes in the steel business. So under the Trump administration, there was a 25% steel tariff and a 10% aluminum duty uh, in 2018 for various countries. While uh, under the Biden administration, they settled a deal with the EU. Of course, since then, we've had Brexit. So uh, in the last week, the U.S. and the United Kingdom reached a new deal to ease what was called Section 232 tariffs on British steel and aluminum, effective June 1, so coming up real soon. Um, and... The deal is going to allow uh, 500,000 metric tons of British steel to be imported without duties. And it's going to lift the retaliatory, uh, retaliatory, can I say that? Retaliatory yeah. tariffs. Yeah. Good Lord. I Don't wrote that it. and thought it would be really easy to say. Retaliatory tariffs uh, on more than $500 million of other exports. So things that were getting tariffs like like booze and agricultural products and blue jeans and motorcycles that were happening in the UK will now be able to be sold without those tariffs being hit, uh, those, those items made in the US. So um, that's all part of the steel deal. Uh, and one of the reasons this, this has been seen is strangely, you know, it's good news for the US steel companies, seeing competition coming for US steel in particular, it's just because business is booming. And the idea that tariffs are, are, are lesser, obviously we all pay for tariffs, it's not companies paying for tariffs. So prices are going to go down for um, any company buying steel, which ought to help with inflation somewhat. Um, and meanwhile, you've got the ability of U.S. companies to sell more stuff. But U.S. steel unaffected. Why? Because they've got so many good things going in their favor. They have, obviously, there's been a lot of strength in the economy, and you're going to hear them kind of talk about what that is. Um, but also they've fixed their mining business, and they've got a better um, input situation going in with the raw iron that goes into making the steel, the flat rolled steel. Um, and those, those iron pellets uh, that go into making flat rolled steel are um, uh, coming in at a cheaper, lower cost. It's a rare situation here in this inflationary economy where U.S. Steel CEO David Burrett says uh, the steel industry is on quite a run. The steel industry is is on quite a run. So it's it's easy, I think, to forget just how far we've come. Q3 and Q4 2021 represented all-time best performance for the business. You know, we're talking about, uh, what is it, $4 billion of EBITDA generated in the second half of last year. So 
you know, frankly, we do expect to be a modest step down from Q4. You know, that's for that's for sure. But but this shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, we we fully expect Q1 2022 to be our third highest EBITDA quarter in the past decade, plus and 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 represent another quarter, frankly, of significant EBITDA and free cash flow generation. But I, I think a couple things that everybody needs to remember related to to U.S. Steel that maybe folks forget about Q1. Um, there are seasonal impacts within our mining operations, and they're they're significant and have become increasingly more material as our presence as a merchant pellet supplier has increased. You know, historically, we've said seasonal mining headwinds ranged from something like $50 million to $100 million, but, but we could see $150 million in the first quarter of this year. And, and this, this headwind will reverse in subsequent quarters and be more than offset uh, through the firm and, and um, contracting volumes in place for 2022. But, but there's obviously these puts and takes with North American flat roll. But, but once you adjust for the impacts of our mining operations, we expect the rest of the segment to perform similarly to the fourth quarter. So again, strong uh, a year for these guys, fixing a lot of problems right when demand is showing up and the dropping of tariffs and, and, and new competition coming in doesn't seem to hurt them. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Brunswick. Brunswick trades under BC and shares have fallen 10% in a year, but shares have jumped since April 2020 when they were trading at 27 bucks, and now BC shares trade over $84. Uh, Isaac, you're familiar with it. Have you have you lived the the boating lifestyle, as they call uh, it in the industry? Uh, I mean, not really, but we boated more when I was growing up. We grew, you know, the Lake of the Ozarks. Yes, was I was watching the Ozarks last night. Mm-hmm. Very much like that. <laughs> Money laundering, all that. Um, Mercury boats are one of the many boats that uh, um, are made by Brunswick, one of the largest manufacturers of recreational boats and and the like. Uh, although uh, about a third of their business is parts and and uh, repairing boats. They say that, of course, the, the two greatest days in the life of a boat owner, the day they buy the boat, only exceeded by the day they get rid of the damn thing. <laughs> but there hasn't been a lot of getting rid of boats lately. Um, and, you know, you talked about the stock performance of this uh, company and, and others in the group that have kind of been the same. But in the last week, there's been a big sell-off of Polaris, uh, Brunswick, Malibu Boats, Fox Factory, all these companies that sell recreational vehicles that rely on gasoline. So as gasoline prices have ticked up, a certain sector of investors and even analysts are saying, hey, with high gas prices, people are not going to fire up their ATVs. They're not going to fire up their Mercury boats. This is bad news for Brunswick. This comes on the heels of the big boat show that takes place in Miami and, and Fort Lauderdale before that, um, uh, where all the boat manufacturers from the whole world kind of gather. And so the, I, I wondered, you know, is there a real connection between gas prices and how much people use their boats and want their boats. Because during COVID, and we've talked about it a little bit in the show over the last year, there's been a terrific demand for boats of all kinds and used boats. And the backlog for boats is crazy. I talked to an investor who went to the boat show in Miami who told me that the boating companies, the, the new boats they were showing off were already sold to customers and they had to make a deal with the customers. We'll give you the boat after the boat show, but we need it because we don't have anything extra in inventory to show you. 
So backlogs were huge. The boat show was 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 well attended. It seems like it's always well attended. But I wondered what is the connection between gas prices historically and the sale of boats? It turns out David Folks, the CEO of Brunswick, talked about that very thing on their most recent conference call. We see effectively no correlation between gas prices and either our P&A business or new boat sales. So there isn't a historic trend. Of course, it is possible that the gas prices will go out of historical range. Uh, and if that happens, it's possible that there'll be an impact. But history at the moment tells us that they would really need to go significantly out of historical ranges for it to be a material uh, impact. I think in terms of interest rates, of course, there's a upward trend, but uh, they remain historically very low. So we have uh, we've experienced uh, conditions in the past with higher gas prices and higher interest rates in which demand remained intact. And that is our current situation, although clearly, um, you know, we're, we're keeping our ear to ground with with customers and with our channel partners to make sure that we um, sense any emerging trends as early as possible. So it couldn't be more clear, Isaac. He's saying there is no connection between gas prices and and you know the sale of boats. And now we're hedging it a little bit by saying a lot higher and higher interest rates. We don't know, but he's also saying we do know. We've never seen a connection between the two. So I think it's really interesting that these stocks have sold off. All these stocks have sold off as a group with high gas prices. With with. And this is a classic example of investors sort of sitting in their armchair instead of doing their homework and picking up the phone and visiting customers and talking to uh, uh, sellers of, of boats and finding out what's actually happening in the industry, I think. We'll see when they report their next quarter. But this company has seen revenue. I think they've seen profits grow at about a 14% annual rate over the last five years, which is really strong. A lot of free cash flow. Um, it, we'll see if, if the, the haters are right, that high gas prices will lead to less boating. But... Um, the company is saying that it never has before. All right, coming up next, CEO of Legend Biotech, Ying Wang. We've talked to him before about their trials over some cancer drugs and a controversial trial at that. Well, the trial results are in. They're very good. We're going to talk to the CEO about just what happened when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We are joined right now by Ying Wang, the CEO of uh, Legend Biotech. Glad to have you. Um, uh, very interesting uh, what's going on with your company, but let's let's back up a little bit and just kind of talk about what you guys do and what problems you're trying to solve. Yeah, so we are a uh, cell therapy company that uh, is developing cell therapy for certain um, cancer indications. Um, and we're very uh, glad that recently on February 28th, the United States FDA actually approved our first drug called Carvicti for multiple myeloma. Yeah, um, an interesting development, not least of which because there were some indications that uh, after treatment on one patient um, that you had to pull the drug and, 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 and there were concerns of would it, would it ever get approved with this, this work. So this is quite the turnaround. Yeah, um, you know, we uh, did have a little bit uh, extension of uh, 
Purdue date, which was the action date by the FDA to decide whether to approve our drug or not. Um, so the new Purdue date was February 28th, and we're just very glad that um, the drug was approved this time on time, exactly on February 28th. And we're very excited about bringing this potentially life-saving therapy to patients who need it. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about the patients who need it. Uh, what is the, you know, this, I think sometimes when we talk about cancer, um, uh, the cancers are so specific sometimes uh, that it's hard to sort of understand what they are when it's not ultimately that complicated. Um, but a, a uh, multiple uh, myeloma, which is which is what this treatment is focused on, is a blood cancer that's concentrated in the bone marrow, yes? Yeah, so multiple myeloma is a cancer of uh, a type of white uh, blood cells called uh, plasma cells. And what happens is um, these cancer cells um, grow very fast within the bone marrow. So that crowds out the normal uh, plasma cells or B cells. Right, the bone and marrow normally creates all the white blood cells, all the different types of that white is blood cells. Correct, that is correct. And uh, specifically, our drug is indicated by the FDA to treat with patients who are relapsed uh, from other therapies or who are refractory from other therapies um, after uh, being treated for uh, a minimum of uh, four prior lines of therapy. So what is the treatment currently then that they might have been treated for and the treatment worked before the relapse? Yeah, so typically once a patient is diagnosed, um, they would actually uh, be treated with a procedure called um, stem cell transplant. Um, so what it does is we would transplant the normal um, cell producing bone marrow cells um, so that the patient will be able to uh, produce normal blood cells. So that's one typical frontline therapy. So stem and then, cell treatment. And is, is that an immunotherapy? Or is that another category of immunotherapy? Uh, no, actually, no? Corey, it's not immunotherapy. Instead, because these people, um, these patients lack the uh, normal cells, we're just basically um, trying to replace um, their bone marrow with normal cells. That's a typical frontline treatment. And then for certain patients who are um, too old or too frail in their physical status who cannot tolerate such a procedure, they will get a cocktail of therapy. Um, you know, it's going to be three drugs in one mix, one oral drug plus an injectable drug plus another oral drug uh, that will be used to treat. And, um, you know, they may be in cancer um, remission for uh, one or two years. And unfortunately, this disease is incurable and uh, intractable. So inevitably, all the patients relapse from those therapies. Oh, really? All of them do, interestingly. Pretty much. And they do this by testing the, what is the M count of the, in your blood cells, in, your, in a blood test? So there's one way to measure the disease by measuring this so-called M protein in the blood of those cancer patients. M as in Mary. I mean, it's yes. probably M as in myeloma, but I'd rather say Mary, you know. Right. <laughs> M as Mary, yes. More biblical. Um, so uh, at least New Testament. So uh, uh, as we talk about this, you know, so th is, this a, is this the kind of test that also can be prescriptive? I, you know, yours is not a test, yours is a treatment, but I'm wondering when one gets the blood, uh, uh, your regular blood work done, this, this M uh, cell count test is something that's added on for people who've got other symptoms of this, uh, this bone cancer? Um, yeah. So blood if cancer, um, really. the doctor suspects um, the patient may have multiple myeloma, they would do a blood uh, test uh, to measure this M protein. They can also um, do a, a urine test to look at uh, what we call the free light chain protein. 
Um, and ultimately, they can also get a bone marrow um, aspiration to see whether there's any cancer cells in the bone marrow. So that's how the patients can be diagnosed. That's probably the progression of the diagnosis, right? You start with a hint, you do the blood work, then you do the bone work. Yeah, that's that's typical. So where are you? So all right, so the FDA has approved uh, this this product, which you're working on with Johnson and Johnson. What? Well, let me let me add to this. Uh, what is Johnson and Johnson doing for you? Not enough. <laughs> well, we, uh, we value Johnson & Johnson. Johnson. We value Johnson & Johnson as a great partner for us. So back in um, 2017, we entered into a global collaboration agreement with Janssen, which is the pharmaceutical arm of uh, Johnson & Johnson, to co-develop uh, what we call Carvicti today. Um, so since then, um, together with Janssen, we were able to uh, develop the drug in many different settings. So the first trial was Cartitude one and that enrolled patients who have had a minimum of three prior lines of therapy. And that's also the basis for the recent FDA approval on uh, February 28th. Now, what we're doing is we're trying to branch into earlier lines of multiple myeloma. So, for example, we're evaluating second-line patients in a trial called CARTITUDE-4. We're also evaluating um, cell in frontline patients. These patients are newly diagnosed with the disease, and let's see how the drug works. And, uh, you know, beyond the clinical development um, Johnson Johnson had also been very helpful in terms of um, coming up with what we call the GMP um, grade manufacturing, which is basically commercial grade manufacturing for pharmaceuticals. Um, Jan- Johnson Johnson is also a very experienced marketer um, in this disease market. So we're you know very fortunate to have Johnson Johnson as a partner. Uh, I'm sure uh, getting the get it, it's one thing to invent the drug; it's a whole other thing to get it in front of the doctors and get them to start prescribing it. Um, what what does this mean for the patients? I mean, is this a cure? Is this a, a treatment that they'll have to take for the rest of their lives? How is it administered? What what does that look like if you're a patient and you you're, and you see, or you've got a relative who's got this disease and you see, and you see uh, the approval of this of your drug? What does it mean for the for the actual life of the patient? Yeah. So for the first um, FDA approved indication, um, these are for what we call layline patients. So pretty much. Um, the patients, um, unfortunately, have tried and failed all the existing treatments on the market. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to see if we can bring those patients into um, remission or in the very minimum to lower their tumor burden in the body. Um, so if you look at our trial, we were able to show 98% of patients in CARTITUDE 1 uh, responded to the treatment, which means they saw a, uh, a tumor burden um, decrease. And then we also are very happy to find out that 83% of patients were um, in so-called astringent remission. And that means you can no longer find cancer cells in their blood. Not only that, if you go into the bone marrow, um, you cannot really find much um, cancer cells in the bone marrow either. And uh, so far, uh, with about two-year median follow-up, we saw that uh, about 61% of patients are still alive and also in complete remission. Um, so this is actually very important for those patients because um, this provides a good quality of the patients and also hopefully can prolong their uh, uh, survival here. And you ask me, what kind of uh, administration um, is this drug used, right? Yeah. So this is actually a one-time treatment. What we do is we take the uh, white blood cells uh, through a uh, blood draw from the patients, and then those uh, blood cells would be shipped into our manufacturing facility in New Jersey, 
where the um, cells will be going through genetic uh, engineering using cutting edge technology, and then we'll grow them, and then the cells will go through quality control measures. And finally, it will be shipped back to the hospital or treatment center where this now newly armed um, T cells would be uh, infused back to the patient. So it's a one-time treatment. It takes really only a few minutes to complete the uh, infusion. And then the patients can, uh, uh, you know, they don't have to really go on to get additional shots for this treatment. It's just one-time treatment, which is so very it's a, it's a it's a It's a blood draw and then a, then a, a mini transfusion. Correct. Injection. Correct. And the, it goes to work. Are there, are there side effects during the process when you're, you know, that's that uh, a genetic change of your white blood cells in your entire body and all your bones. Does it hurt? Is it do the body's ache when this happens? Um, so of course, um, every drug comes with the benefit, but also there might be some adverse events um, associated with that. Um, so typical with this class of therapy called CAR T therapy, right. um, you do see some uh, cytokine release syndrome or what we call CRS. Um, some of the typical symptoms would be fever or hypotension. And uh, we can manage those in the clinic. And another uh, possible um, adverse event would be a neurotoxicity. So again, we uh, were able to manage most of those uh, adverse events in the clinic. So, in Wait, short, neurotoxicity um, you is, know, is what neuropathy? Um, it's it could be neuropathy, but it could be also other types um, uh, neurotoxicity. For example, neurological things. So this isn't yes. this isn't liver or kidney. This is this is uh, neurological. No. Correct. Um, so it could be um, those uh, adverse events. But um, in short, we believe that Carvicti offers uh, very significant cost uh, uh, benefit here in terms of the benefit um, that brings to the patients versus uh, some of the adverse events. Well, I mean, living longer is more expensive, but I think that's a cost. I'm going to we'll, we'll call that a cost benefit anyway. Yeah, um, um, that's it pretty is amazing. A still um, a very great clinical benefit. What what is this? Are there other uh, potential? So the can we can we get down to the the actual sort of way that the drug works? Like what what is it? If you were to if you were to do an animation of this, an audio animation of this, what what does it do? How does the drug do things that we've never seen before with another drug? Yeah, sure. So um, T cells um, are already um, part of our normal immune system. So um, if you know our body is attacked by a foreign pathogen like you know bacteria or virus then the T cells will be mobilized to attack those foreign substances in the body, right? But um, in this case, um, the cancer cells are also very smart. What they do is they evade uh, from the T cell surveillance in the body. So what we're trying to do here at Legend is that we basically install kind of like a GPS device on those T cells from the patient's body so that now the T cells will be armed with this GPS device and then it will be very precise in finding those cancer cells and killing those cells. That's what we're trying to do here. If you try to kind of imagine that in the cartoon. So it really, it really seeks out the, the cancerous cells and just wipes them out. Correct. That's how the CAR-T drug works. Uh, just, and, 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 and it does that employing the T cell? Basically rearms the T cell with more knowledge on how to fight the, the cancer cell? That is right. Um, so in order for the T cells to be active in this case, right, we um, add a small antibody fra- fragment called a CAR on the surface of T cells. So this CAR would bind with a cancer antigen called BCMA on the multiple myeloma cancer cells. And when they bind, um, they will form a very tight complex. And then that brings the T cells in a proximity 
to the cancer cells. That's that's how we can kill those um, cancer cells. It's a very small way to uh, treat cancer. And which brings me to my next question, which is, can this type of treatment, now that we see it works, let alone have an FDA approval proving that it works, could this be used for other types of cancer? And could it be used by your company for other types of cancer? Absolutely. Um, for example, if you look at FDA-approved drugs on the market today, there are CAR-T therapies for lymphoma. Um, now our drugs are approved for the treatment of multiple myeloma. So definitely it's been proven in a clinic to um, kill many types of uh, blood cancer cells. Now, I imagine your next question would be, can those CAR-T cells also kill cancer from lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, right? right. So that is what we're working for. Uh, many companies in the field, including Legend, were working tirelessly to see if we can come up with uh, CAR T cell therapy that also can treat solid tumor, um, including lung cancer, liver cancer, and prostate cancer, for example. Well, it's, it's curious because there there are different types of chemotherapy drugs that have an effect on different types of cancers, even though they're all administered through the same way through a port or through a, a you know an injection or whatever infusion. Um, and I'm curious if those start to point the way towards the development of the right kind of T-cell. If we, if we think of, of a CAR-T therapy as like an anti-aircraft uh, 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 battery that, that targets only one type of aircraft, does, the, does what we've already seen with chemotherapy drugs over years, decades, uh, that target certain types of cancer provide a, a, a guide uh, or a map towards the way CAR-T cells might also target certain therapies? I'm thinking of, for example, the way oxaliplatin uh, targets colorectal cancer doesn't do a damn thing for breast cancer. It's, it's fascinating to me that, 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 that the, these chemotherapy drugs that go through a body are only a type, attack a certain type of cancer. I wonder if that's the, the guide way for T-cell treatments or CAR-T so treatments. So if I use your analogy, um, Corey, um, the old drugs such as chemotherapies are basically, um, you know, the cannons, right? They just shoot over and then unfortunately, they kill cancer cells, but in the process, they also kill many of the normal cells. That's why you see uh, patients um, losing weight, um, losing hair, and also losing um, appetite, right? Because unfortunately, in that process, many non-normal cells in the body are also wiped out. So yeah, that's cancer, how chemotherapy worst diet works. Ever. Right, because chemotherapy, they target basically fast-growing cells in the body. That's how they sure. kill. Of course, cancer cells are fast-growing, but so are the cells in the hair, because that's how we grow hair, right? So that is why chemotherapy is a very old technology that is no longer preferred um, therapy for cancer today. Now, uh, you talk about the targeted therapy. So we do have smarter drugs these days, so-called targeted therapy. What they do is, um, for example, if you mention um, colorectal cancer, so certain colorectal cancer cells are um, being driven by certain targets or proteins in our body. So what these targeted therapies to do in our body is that they try to um, find those targets and only kill those cells specifically. So this is an upgrade from the old chemotherapies because they would only work for colorectal cells if um, the growth of those cancer cells are driven by a certain protein or certain mutation. We target those. Um, so they're typically, um, you know, less toxic and more targeted. Now, if you think about CAR-T, we're talking about another level of uh, like guided missiles, for example, because our missiles are armed with those, you know, anybody's called CAR. So they're very precise. They know what they're trying to find in the cancer cells. And then they'll basically um, attack those cancer cells precisely. So that's another level of what we call precision uh, medicine. 
It's just fascinating. Um, what? So you mentioned the the uh, I think you've mentioned breast, lung, and prostate. Why uh, those and not other types of cancer? Um, I mean, I just use those as uh, examples where you have high prevalence, which means there are a high number of Americans who unfortunately um, are diagnosed with those uh, diseases. Right. But that is, course, that is the order, right? Breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, and colorectal cancer. Yeah, these are all, you know, high prevalence cancers, unfortunately. Um, well, so fascinating. Um, is the development time less now that you've had some success with the first one? Um, well, it's not necessarily um, easy. The reason is cancer cells um, are very smart. So the difference between a solid tumor and uh, a hematology cancer such as multiple myeloma is that if you think about solid tumor, they're typically a mass, right? It's a tumor mass. And uh, there's a what we call tumor microenvironment. So it's a highly immune suppressive. So this is how those tumor cells grow and how they become a mass in the body because they're encapsulated in a certain environment where there are many uh, proteins or factors that would um, suppress the immune system of our body. So, um, you know, in order for the CAR T cells to work, it would have to physically penetrate into the organs where the tumor is growing first. And secondly, once you penetrate into the organ, you have to fight against that tumor microenvironment, which is immune suppressive. And that is why it's more difficult to develop um, CAR T therapies for solid tumor compared to hematology or blood cancers. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating um Science, uh, it's wonderful news of the, the approval by the FDA, and we can't wait for more. We will. Uh, Ying Wang is the CEO of Legend Biotech. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Kari. All right, coming up next, one number that means a whole lot to drill down by. We've got one number about Legend Biotech and the cancers that they treat and may treat uh, in the future when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And if you want to catch every episode of The Drill Down, it's a lot easier when you subscribe. So hit the subscribe button or on iTunes, hit the plus icon there. Then it'll indicate every single show that we put out and you'll make sure to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the Drill Down by that one number that tells us a whole lot. Yes, that is the second time we've heard from Legend Biotech uh, in the history of this show. Because what a great story and what a story that seems to be improving, as they did predict all the way back in episode, I think it was number 95. 95 is not the Drill Down by Isaac. What is it? So here's an interesting uh, number, I think, about cancer. So according to the National Cancer Institute, an upbeat fact. Okay. You think there are any upbeat numbers about cancer? Oh, survival rates. Well, so here's interesting. that you, you got it right on the head. So according to the National Cancer Institute, uh, you know, there are tons and tons of people with cancer, and it's depressing, and uh, about a third of them die. I, by the way, anyone listening to this podcast, you're all going to die. We're all going to die. But- uh, uh, wow. You know, it's it's an eventuality. However, you might not die of cancer. Uh, and there are more and more cancer survivors than ever. In fact, according to the National Cancer Institute, uh, this is still not the bite, but there are 16.9 million cancer survivors as of January 19, uh, January 2019. So that translates, uh, if you look at the 2019 population statistics, 5.1% of all Americans huh. are cancer survivors. Wow. 
That's a little higher than I thought it would be. So, so you know, when when the president uh, during the State of the Union talks about cancer being personal for he and, and Kamala Harris, which he suggests at the end of the of the State of the Union speech, and mm-hmm. and cancer, and for his wife Jill, and for for all of us, cancer is so personal. Uh, well, yeah, because there, are, there are, forget all the dead people. Five point one percent of Americans are cancer yeah. survivors. Uh, yeah. That's super powerful and super optimistic, especially when you hear from Legend Biotech that yet more people might be able to survive uh, an otherwise incurable and fatal cancer uh, for longer lives and giving them more chances to do more great things. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. No, you couldn't or, help but feel more chances to do shitty things, but at least longer <laughs> lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But you couldn't help but feel optimistic listening to Ying talk uh, based on his research. Yeah, and he would a great job. He's done with this company and really get them focused yeah. on the things that they can do well and doing something well. Uh, that's going to be a great benefit to our society. Again, if living, if you choose to live your life in a way that will benefit our society. Right. Uh, we hope you will. We hope you enjoyed the show. We are certainly grateful for your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Couldn't do it without Ben. Could not do it without Ben. No. No. <laughs> Nor could he's, we do it without the, he's, he's the glue that keeps us all together. Nikita barking there in the background. This has been a production of the Business Podcast Network.